Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, it's just so good to be in your house this morning. And God, we thank you for the blessing to, to hear your word taught this morning at Sunday school, uh, to once again to sit at your feet and hear your word preached. I pray and ask Holy Spirit that you would uh, help us to understand this word, uh, not just to take it into our heads, but also into our hearts and, and our wills. And, and Lord, may that word be lived out in our lives. You tell us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers as well. And so, God, we pray that even after this service is over, that you would continue the ministry of the Word of God in our lives, even this week, as we see the reality of the things that are talked about um, become true in our lives. Uh, we thank you, O Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen. So what do you look for in the ministry you receive in our church? Now, that's not a question maybe you would typically think of, but, you know, what do you look for in the ministry you receive in our church? In other words, you know, it might, be, might even be, you know, the reason why you decided to come to Kirk of the Plains. Maybe the thing that attracted you. For some people, they might look for a certain kind of worship experience. Others for certain kinds of, of programs uh, for themselves or for their family. Uh, some people may be looking for relationships or a, a place to belong. But, but in the passage that we have today in Ephesians chapter 4, God shows us what his plan is for the ministry of his church. And, and central to that ministry is the ministry of the word of God. And, and I say that as we looked last week at verses 11 and 12, that God gave gifts to the church, and those gifts weren't the typical spiritual gifts that we think about, but they were actually offices in the church. That of evangelist, that of pastor and teacher. And with that idea of pastor-teacher, it reminds us that that, that uh, word is not just something that is spoken here out of the pulpit, but also as uh, the, those elders of the church minister amongst the people throughout the week and as they have the opportunity to even minister the word at that time as well. And so central is very much that idea of the ministry of the word. But the overall purpose of the ministry of the word in the life of the church is, as it says in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, to use a, a modern analogy uh, Paul's not comparing the church to an airplane ride. You know, you get on an airplane, you sit on that airplane comfortably and passively until you reach your destination, then you get off and you're there. That's not really the idea that he's talking about. Rather, he, it might be better to liken the church to an orchestra where all the members play their part and contribute to this wonderful melodic sin symphony of service to God. In order for the saints to have such a work of ministry, we see here that Paul says we need to be equipped. Now, I didn't get a chance to talk about what that means last week, but it's really important to understand that idea of equipped. That word equipped actually could be translated to be mended. And it's, it's a word used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, where James and John are mending their nets. Uh, they're repairing them to make them fit for service so that they could catch fish again. Uh, the word also is sometimes used in medical terms for repairing broken bones and reconnecting dislocated limbs. And as you think about that kind of picture of mending or equipping, Paul is vividly describing the healing, restorative, powerful ministry of God's word. 
That as God's word is ministered in the church, whether that be from the pulpit, whether that be uh, from small group ministry, women's ministries, men's ministries, whatever it might be, uh, that, that that brings about sort of a restorative approach to the body of Christ. And the ministry of God's word is not merely to inform us or to enlighten us or to expand our minds. There is a sense in which that does happen, okay? So don't get me wrong. But that's not all that it's intended to do. It is actually intended to transform us. It is to heal us of our various spiritual sicknesses, you know, the things that we wrestle with that makes us whole and restores us that we might fit together for the work that he has for us to do. And then that work then creates the building up of the body of Christ. So uh, the, the, the work of ministry that God's word equips us for is to be carried out by men and women and children and young people whose lives are being made whole and restored to the image of God that sin had defaced. But now that the hearing of the word of God and the application of that word then allows them to uh, walk and to become like Jesus Christ. But Paul wants us to see here that we can't just be passive in this. That this isn't just something that we let go and let God and it just automatically happens to us. Almost like a magic formula or you wave a wand over something and it happens. But instead, God's word impacts our lives and shapes and styles us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's God's purpose for the ministry at Kirk of the Plains and every other Bible-believing church. So the building up, that is the maturing and the strengthening of the body, comes about as the, the saints engage as gospel-transformed men and women in the work of ministry. But what does that building up look like? How do we know if we as a church are maturing in our faith? And that's what I want us to look at in verses 13 through 16 this morning as Paul begins to unpack that. And he tells us, first of all, the first evidence of a spiritually healthy church is its pursuit of the unity of the faith. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, when he talks about the faith... Uh, Paul is not here talking about the act of believing, okay? But rather, he's talking about the body of Christian truth or doctrine. Uh, as Paul's been speaking of, and I say that because as Paul's been speaking, he's been talking about the ministry of the Word. And so the faith is the content of the gospel in its most complete form. And uh, that is... Uh, we that a maturing church is one that seeks for the unity in that faith to understand what it is that God has revealed. And we know that when that is not happening in a church, that there can be great disunity. And a, and a great example of this is the Corinthian church, is it not? If you go back and look at the Corinthian church, there wasn't that sense of of doctrinal uh, unity. Actually, there was much doctrinal ignorance and spiritual immaturity. And Paul was writing to the church and said, especially in chapter 7 and following, well, here, about your question about this and your question about that, do this and do that. And he's instructing them as to what it is that they uh, must believe. And, uh, but, but they weren't there. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And that same mind and that same judgment is based upon the word of God. But because that wasn't there, there was that sense of, of disunity that we oftentimes know. But as, as uh, the saints are properly taught and the word is faithfully proclaimed and the gifts are used in the church, then the body grows to that unity of the faith. Now, how many churches give their best energies to cultivating the un- unity of the faith? I mean, don't you hear a lot of churches talk about, well, you know, doctrine's not really all that important. Or what's the most common phrase? Doctrine what? Divides. Okay? But that's not what you see Paul saying here. He says that you ought to, to grapple with this. You ought to wrestle with this. You ought to seek to understand and, and so what happens is it becomes more common for churches to see individuals saved and to be sanctified rather than helping the Christian community grow together as a community to be united in its doctrines of the Christian faith. You know, one of the reasons why we have Sunday school is, is to help with this. You know, one of the things that we want you to know as a church is who your God is. And so Chris takes the time every Sunday morning to come and stand before us and to open up the Word of God and to teach that to us. And allow us to interact and to wrestle with that, that we might understand these things. But the the Christian faith doesn't just end with the learning and understanding of sound doctrine. It also involves the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, what Paul means here when he's talking about knowledge is a deep personal knowledge that comes from living with Christ day in and day out. It's, it's the idea that Paul expresses in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, For me to live is Christ. Okay, Or as we saw even in Sunday school in Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And so as, as God's word is ministered week in and week out and the exposition is given, it is to be centered upon Jesus Christ and who he is with all passion that we may come to know Christ intimately. And so I, I hope you see here sort of a twofold plan that, that uh, fosters this unity and maturity that we should come together in sound biblical doctrine and grasp that. And where we may not agree that we wouldn't just sit down and say, well, I think this and I think that, but that we open this book and we read this and we say, but what has God said? And even those passages that are difficult to understand, that we grapple with those. But we should also be engaged in personal discipleship with Jesus Christ to know him, to live out the truths of God's word. And I know we've talked about uh, the book of Ephesians itself, just sort of the way it's set up. In the first three chapters, it, Paul focuses very much on the doctrine of the church. He says, I want you to understand the reality of what's going on. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he goes, now I want you to see how this works itself out in your life. And we talked about how even in the church, don't we oftentimes have a propensity towards one or the other? That we're the kind of person, we could talk about doctrine all day long. And we could uh, quote Bible verses and all that. Or, you know, maybe our emphasis is really more on how does this gospel work itself out in everyday life. And it seems like we can sort of gravitate to one side or the other. I mean, obviously, what God's calling us to is to do both. You can't really do one without the other faithfully, but we have a tendency to go to one extreme or the other. 
And I think the thing that has blessed my heart as a pastor is, as I see and as I watch you as a congregation interact with one another and talk with one another, to see how the Holy Spirit is bringing those of you that are very strong theologically and biblically, talking to those who, who really have a heart desire to live out that gospel, but maybe they don't know that so well. And what I see is it helps both of you. You know, it helps the person who knows the word of God to be challenged. Well, I got to be thinking about how to live this out. But then it also helps the person who wants to live it out, but they don't know what that is. And, you know, they're just not sure. And so it helps it to be grounded. And it's just neat to see how the Lord is working in our midst. Because God's plan is, is that we would grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, that we would be like Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Romans 8, 29. Uh, so, attaining to the unity of the faith and, and seeking to grow in the knowledge of who Christ is, is, is not an optional extra for the Christian and for Christian churches to pursue. It is what they are called to do. And I think it's important for us to stop and to ask is, how do you measure the present state of your personal faith and, and of the faith of our church as a, as a community as well? I think it's uh, sadly possible to be theoretically orthodox and yet live disunited from other believers and ignorant of the rich experiential knowledge of, all the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or yet it's possible to, to be out there with people all the time and to be interacting and talking to people about biblical things and yet never taking the time to, to study. Well, as I said, Paul desires this so that we would be like the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts it here as a mature manhood. Jesus Christ is the perfect embodiment, obviously, of mature manhood. And God has predestined the purpose to conform us as his children to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that means the word of God has to be central in, in our ministry. And I have been encouraged as a pastor to have many of you encouraging me in that way. You know, and, and, and excited about the ministry of the Word of God and wanting to make sure that it doesn't just become a peripheral thing in our church, but that it is uh, so imperative. Because it's so easy, even for the church today, for us to say that we believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. But I think so many churches, even that say that, forget that the Word of God is sufficient. And so when it comes to planning the, you know, for the church, when it comes to having session meetings or diaconate meetings or the women getting together and the men getting together, that our strategies don't flow out of the word of God, but they come out of human wisdom and, and, and out of the latest church growth uh, material or whatever it may be. And it's really important that the word of God is, is ministry. Well, in verse 14, Paul highlights two features of a mature uh, a maturing church, a mature man. Um, and he, he talks about that in, in these words. He says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The first thing that we see is spiritually, as a church matures, you'll see the evidence of doctrin doctrinal stability. Uh, Paul is concerned to see God's people established in the faith and not blown around by every wind of doctrine. You know, he understands that what will best guard the church from being easily 
impressed, you know, much like immature children and protect her from being tossed to and fro by like a boat, you know, by waves or, you know, um, or, or the wind. And we understand the wind as Kansans, don't we, is is to be like our head and our savior, Jesus Christ. Such conformity to Christ includes having the mind of Christ and knowing who he is. And, and as we have that, as we are grounded in God's word, as we know Christ, as we walk with him, uh, such conformity to Christ helps us to detect the presence and the influence of error, no matter how cunning and craftily it is disguised. Now, I think it's interesting that the, the language that, that he uses here, you know, uh, he talks about uh, little children and how sometimes little children can be tr- so trusting. They don't have a lot of discernment, do they? I mean, and that's why we as parents, isn't our greatest fear that our kids are going to be so trusting and so naive that a stranger is going to walk up to them and say, hey, come with me. And our kids are going to go off with them. And we see cases on TV after case after case where that very the same thing happens. And Paul says, that's not who you are. As you are grounded in the word, you're not naive. You're not prone to, to listen to the voice of others. You know, you're, you're not tossed and fro by these winds of doctrine. Um, it's interesting as he talks about the craftiness and the cunning, uh, th- the word there is used uh, meaning dice. And it's, it's sort of like the idea, I'm not a gambler, and, and hopefully none of you are either, but, uh, you know, it's sort of the idea of shooting dice, but having loaded dice. You know, loaded dice always come up with the same number, right? Because it's rigged. It's sort of uh, um, um, structured in such a way to have a certain outcome. And, and that's sort of what false teachers can be like. There's a sense in which they're trying to load things. They're trying to, to manipulate the error to appear as if it is the truth, even though it is not. But faced with such cunning, we must do what God's word bids us to do, and that is to test all the things that we hear um, by the infallible word of God. So false teaching oftentimes comes clothed uh, in fine words and spoken and written and theologically and from well-educated men. I, I oftentimes say, you know, you rarely see a false teacher that wears a T-shirt that says, Hi, I'm a false teacher. You know, you never see that. You know, they come in as sheep, not as wolves. And uh, as, as one uh, person I read this week, you know, they were uh, making the point that in, his, in the history of the church, that error oftentimes infiltrates its way first into the church seminaries and then into the church. So often we pray for the church, but we oftentimes don't pray for the colleges and the seminaries that we have. But oftentimes that's where the error comes in. I mean, and think about this. It's brilliant on Satan's part. Because if you can mold and shape the minds of future preachers to be accepting of false or doctrine or error, then as they come into the church, what are they going to teach? False doctrine and error. And that's why we take the time to pray for the different agencies of our denomination. That's why we pray for Covenant College. That's why we pray for Covenant Seminary. Uh, that the Lord would guard those schools and those institutions from such false teaching. Or where false teaching has already found a foothold, that God would root that out and cause them to repent and to return 
to the truth. And so, so we pray for such things. But we see here that not only uh, do, do you see a sense in which uh, there's doctrinal stability in a church that's maturing, but also a maturing church is one that speaks the truth in love. He says in verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ. Now, in contrast to the, the cunning, craftiness, and deceit that are native to the world and oftentimes finds its way into the church, uh, God is telling us as his church to speak the truth in love. Now, Paul is reminding us that speaking the truth in love is the overflow of a life that's been founded and rooted under the ministry of the Word of God. A life in, invaded and captured and, and captivated by God's love and truth in Christ. Those two things go together. So it's not like he's taking the truth of the Word and setting that aside and saying, okay, now let's talk about love. You know, he's, he's, he's saying that that comes out of the preaching of the Word of God. Also, he's impressing on us that truth not hypocrisy and deceit is to be a public feature of the church's life in a fallen world. That that's what we are to be speaking is that truth. And a church that is built up through the ministry of the word and the gifts of God's people will be speaking the truth of the gospel lovingly to each other and to the deceived world around them. And of course, uh, you know, we need to understand what we mean when we're talking about love. We, we, it's, it's just, it's, isn't it just... Interesting, Chris, to see how God does this. He, he does this all the time. We sang about justice and uh, righteousness this morning. That's what we talked about in Sunday school. We talked about the love of God this morning in Sunday school. It's just neat to see how God ties all these things together. But, you know, what is love? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is a great definition of love. But so often in our culture, love really becomes, it really comes to mean being nice. Being nice to other people. That's what love has been reduced to in our culture, being nice and letting everyone do what they want to do. If you don't let me do what I want to do, you are not loving. You are imposing your will upon me and you're being a, a bully. But that's not what love is. But, you know, even, even the pagans, though, have this concept of tough love, of loving someone enough to do something that's not very pleasant for you or probably for them, but requires both truth and requires more than just niceness. It requires a genuine concern for the well-being of that other person. Love uh, that, that comes out of the nature of God. And so as we, as we have that love for one another that flows out of the truth of God's word, then Christians will exhort those who are going astray. They will correct those uh, who are in error, you know, out of ignorance. They will explain the faith from the Bible to lead people to a personal knowledge and intimate discipleship with Jesus Christ. They will share their faith with those that they don't know because the truth and love go together. I think whenever you hear somebody uh, pitting truth against love or, or love against truth, you can be sure that they don't understand the Bible's teaching about truth and love. I mean, and it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians 13, love loves the truth, right? It delights in the truth. Uh, those two things go together. Truth and love are not opponents. They're actually comrades in the great work of Christian maturity. And I think it's important that we understand that because when truth 
is distanced from love, it loses its grace and it becomes very pharisaical. It becomes very clinical and very cold and very hard-edged. But at the same time, when love is distanced from truth, it loses moral character and becomes passive and little more than an excuse for unhindered indulgence. And so it's so important to keep those two together. And as a, a matter of fact, truth and love, whenever you see those two together, it's a sure sign that the work of the Holy Spirit is happening in that place. And uh, so we see that. But uh, So we see this work that God does, but he, he does this to cause us to become a maturing community. Let me just share one more thing very briefly from verses 15 and 16. He says, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, what Paul is giving us a picture of here is how the physical body functions properly only as each member that's in union with each other responds to what the head says, to doing what the head does. And, you know, oftentimes uh, illnesses that, that we know about in the physical world happen because there's a disconnect between the head and the body. And, and so the body is doing all kinds of strange things and it makes it hard to pick up things or to walk or to do those things. But Paul's primary emphasis here is on the head who is Christ, who causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. But the spiritual growth and maturity that flows from the head of Christ, as I said earlier, doesn't just happen automatically. But growth into a mature man happens when each part is working properly. All Christians have a responsibility to do their utmost with the gifts and the capacities given to them by the Lord Jesus Christ as he was raised from the dead and gave gifts to the church. So there's no passengers in the church, just as there are no uh, redundant joints or ligaments in, in the body. Everyone is needed. Everyone has a significant part to play in Christ's church, where God's people have a close relationship of genuine spiritual ministry with each other, you will see God at work. Where we are interconnecting with one another and uh, living that out, you will see God at work. But where Christians are not intimate with each other and faithful with their gifts, God does not work. The bottom line is, is that each of us, individual believers, stays close to Jesus and as we're faithfully using our gifts in close contact with other believers, uh, the Lord's power will flow to build up the body in love. And that's how we mature as Christians, um, in community with each other, uh, using the means of grace and the gifts that Jesus Christ has given to the church to mature us. Now, uh, what's so important about that is, is that each of you, each and every one of you who are part of Kirk of the Plains, you are not here by accident. You might even think that you were here because you decided to be here. This is, this is the church where you go, yeah, I want to set down roots here. But what you may not realize is that there is a much bigger picture here. That God has brought you to this body. God has you here for a reason. So that he might do his work and through you and through me as well. That the body might be built up. Now brothers and sisters, think about it. 
Is it not humbling and exciting at the same time to see how Jesus Christ takes those of us who were once his enemies, who were once consumed with their own selfishness, that the only person that they thought about was themselves, and that we were isolated from other people. I mean, we had friendships and we had relationships, but that was always jeopardized by the selfishness of our own hearts. And he put us in a body and he gave gifts to the church, men who would preach the word of God, and the spirit, he has given a spirit to the church to work in the hearts of us as his people to continually to respond to that word and to live by faith. And as we do so, as we use the gifts, and I see this so much in you guys. I just, I'm so thankful for you and the gifts that you have and that you use that, that the church is strengthened, that the church is, 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 is growing uh, not just numerically, but spiritually, that there is a, a sense in which we're moving together in the unity of the faith and that we see the love of Christ being worked out in our lives. Uh, you may not feel like this at times. You may say, well, what I do just doesn't seem that important. But God is carrying out his plan in his church. Amen. And we are part of that because he has chosen to do that. And so may we give him praise with our lips. May we pray that he would continue to mature us more as a church. Amen. May we uh, just uh, pray that the world would see this, that we could be a testimony to those around us and, uh, and that we would glorify him. So I, we need to ask ourselves, will we walk with Christ in this way? Will you submit to his word and give yourself to him to be used for his glory in Andover and beyond? Let's take just a moment this morning to meditate upon the word that's been preached this morning. Lord Jesus, as the head of the church, we come to you and are just so thankful. Lord, from the very beginning of our local church, uh, you reminded us that you were the one that built your church. And it's exciting to see how through the ministry of the church, you continue to cause us to be mature and grow together. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, uh, to, to do exactly that. Guard us, God, against uh, distractions and against things that would lead us apart from these things. Uh, ways, God, that we might be tempted to rely upon our own wisdom, uh, our own methods, our, our own ideologies. And we pray instead, Lord, that you would just help me as the, as the elder to be faithful to preach the word of God and to grow in that ability. Lord, that you would help us as a church to know our gifts and to use those gifts uh, Lord, uh, we just thank you and we even pray for our kids that they could grow up in a church seeing how you are at work in your body. And Lord, that you would touch their hearts even at a young age to understand that they are part of this as well. And Lord Jesus, it, it is our desire that these things would become a reality, not just so that people would look and say, hey, wow, Kirk of the Plains is a, a great place, but that they would see Jesus that they would see Jesus and that we would act like Jesus, that, that we would live out uh, your word, that we would seek to know you through your word. And uh, Lord, 
we just pray, uh, Father, that um, for any that might be here today that don't know you, that don't know your word, uh, we ask, God, that they would understand that you are a God that, that is reaching out to them and is calling them to himself. Uh, we just thank you, Lord, for these things and pray them in your name. Amen.